So hello everyone and thank you for joining us for this week's Loden Sports Outlier Session. My name is Matt Pajak, co-founder of Loden Sports. Just a reminder to check out the Loden Sports blog for more info on our upcoming guests. Set those calendar reminders and we'll see you right back here next week. A quick plug on what Loden Sports is. We are the affordable human performance data provider. We use non-exclusive objective athletic evaluations for the purposes of tracking athletic development informing athlete health, and identifying outliers. Our evaluations are non-sport, gender, skill level, or age-specific. They are for anyone and everyone, just like these outlier sessions. If you're interested in learning more or getting in touch, visit our website at loadinsports.com, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at loadinsports, and read our blog, which is also available through our website. The outlier sessions have been created as a way to bridge the gap and create a connection between the aspiring in the achieving. All of our guests have a niche at the highest levels of baseball and are an outlier in their own right. We want to take some time to talk about long-term athlete development, LTAD, in the context of their experiences, their processes for taking care of themselves, and get to know a little bit more about their personal interests as well. With all that being said, we know there are so many other places you could be, um, and we want to thank you for being here with us. So we hope you're able to take something you learn here and apply it in your life. This session will be broken up into two parts. For the first part, we have a series of questions for our guests, and for the second part, we'll invite you all to join the conversation, and when we get there, we'll walk you through exactly how to do that. And now, I'd like to introduce current Milwaukee Brewers minor league outfielder, Swiss Army Knife, and the ultimate team guy, Noah Campbell. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, exciting times. Um, <laughs> Noah, provide us some background on yourself. You know, how old you are, where you're from, high school travel, where you played for, where you went to college, where you live now, all that good stuff. Okay, so I'm 22. Uh, um, I live in Durham and I'm from Durham. I've been here my whole life. Uh, I play travel ball with the Evil Shield Canes and I went to Cardinal Gibbons High School and I went to the University of South Carolina. And like you said, I'm with the Brewers now. So. Awesome. So we'll get into the weeds on some of that stuff a little bit later on. But before we get going, a couple of things I do want to call out. First off, Noah will be hooking up one person in attendance with a signed game used broken bat. Uh, that's sick. Make sure you fill out the link to the Google form in the outlier session chat on your left to be eligible to win. The winner will be contacted likely tomorrow. Get your address and get that out to you, hopefully in time for Christmas. Um, additionally, we will be sending out an email in the next day or so for all attendees to claim their free POAP NFT for this session. For those of you who aren't familiar, a POAP is a proof of attendance protocol or simply a digital ticket stub. If you're interested in receiving the email, please fill out the Google form that we have posted in the Outlier session chat. All right, let's get the show on the road. And per usual, we'll open up with some LTAD related questions for Noah. Loden Sports is in the process of building out an LTAD. Our guide will be an inclusive, holistic, and philosophical reference for developing athletes of all sports and levels of aspiration. In our eyes, everyone is an athlete. Yes, even you parents and coaches. We all can and should find enjoyment in sports in a number of different ways for the entirety of our lives. So we'll get started with the topic of emotional well-being and the importance of gratefulness. There are little things we can do every day to bolster our emotional well-being. It's like a muscle needs to be trained. We've done this with all of our guests so far. This exercise is something you can do today and every day. Noah, 
share with us what are three things you are grateful for today? Uh, well, I'd say the most obvious one is my family. I mean, just being around them, especially, you know, this time of year uh, with Christmas coming up and, you know, Thanksgiving. But I'm just so grateful and thankful for my family. I mean, all they've done for me. Um, and then I would say the, just the other people around me that have helped me and pushed me and just, you know, done simple things like just be my friend or make me laugh or whatever. That's that's those those people are just as important. Um, you got to have those in your life. And then I would say overall, I mean, just the fact that I'm where I'm at and that I'm happy. I think that's that's really my ultimate goal. And I guess a lot of probably a lot of people's ultimate goal in life is to be happy wherever they're at. Uh, you know, whether I'm playing baseball or just at home, I'm, I'm glad that I am. I'm where I'm at and I'm happy. And that's that's what matters most. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to hit you with my three before we keep it moving. Uh, my number one for today, when the leaves come off the trees in the winter, it allows for more natural sunlight to get through, especially in a pretty shady neighborhood that I live in. So be able to see the sun in the winter time when it's usually dark or mostly dark, you know, early is always a positive. Uh, number two, flexible schedules, kind of have the ability to move things around. Um, obviously that is a luxury. So definitely grateful for that. And then number three is that I was able to show you a pretty uh, awesome barbecue spot yesterday. That's only two <laughs> in the house. So um, that we were able to get together, have lunch and enjoy a nice, sunny, warmer day in December and enjoy some good food yesterday. Um, that'll be my number three for today. So um, rolling right into the next element of LTAD that I want to hit on, ignition. Uh, this is something that I love to talk about. So um, I don't know if you did your homework on this one, but ignition is a key pillar to athlete development. It's what lights the fire for the developing athlete to want to participate in sports. What keeps that fire lit? Um, it's kind of why the number one priority for a young athlete is to find enjoyment in sports because ultimately it comes down to what's happening in the subconscious um, where they're having a positive experience in sport that you know keeps them wanting to participate as they get older. So um, I'm super curious about this with anyone that I talk to because it's not one of those things where oftentimes you can kind of guess the answer or whatever. It's, it's often some, something that you wouldn't really expect or guess, but uh, parents, teachers, coaches, they're all responsible for shaping the developmental environment. For you, Noah, who could be one person, could be many in your life, helped drive the interest in the sport of baseball when you were younger? Well, this is an easy one for me. It's my dad. I mean, he, uh, he, he, he's been the biggest influence in my life in terms of baseball, for sure. I mean, he's, he's my, he's been my longest term coach and he's my hitting coach to this day. So, um, uh, that's easy for me. That's my, it's my dad. Awesome. Um, you know, what were some things that he did at a younger age that kind of got you hooked in the sport? Cause I know we had the conversation about it yesterday where, you know, you're, Oddly enough, talking about another player and, um, you know, observing something at a younger age where you said you were surprised that that kid was still playing baseball now um, and that he didn't just drop the sport after, again, what you observed. What were some things that, like, maybe your dad did when you were younger that kind of got you hooked? 
Well, I mean, I think my dad struck a really nice balance for me uh, growing up. I mean, he was definitely tough on me, um, as I think you need to be to a certain degree with some with a kid that has aspirations of playing really, really high level baseball or high level any making you know high level advances in anything. Um, but I think he was the perfect amount of hard on me and really encouraging. But I think the big thing for me when I was younger was. I mean, he played baseball at UNC and he, he got drafted three times and uh, played a year in professional baseball. And so I was, I've, and I've been hearing my whole life how uh, talented my dad was when he played and all this stuff. And that really inspired me because it tells me, first of all, that I have, a good, I, have, I have a good coach. And if he's passing that stuff on to me, then I have a chance to do some of the things that he did. And hopefully I can play well i'm gonna play at least two years in pro ball so i haven't beat there but i i think it's uh i think i think it's it's really cool to have a dad that has gone through it too and i think that's what really inspired me was just having him having him around just knowing that he's been through it all that's awesome yeah it's kind of like the whole the whole your dad's your hero in multiple different ways so um do you think it could have been any other sport or was it always baseball i mean kind of feels like we already know the answer to that question, but you know, I don't know. Did you play yeah. any other sports growing up? Did you take to anything else or just baseball? So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it was pretty much all baseball. I mean, even from a young age, I was five or six and my, my dream was like, I want to play professional baseball. I want to play in the MLB. So I was really young when I kind of made that decision. I mean, I, I tinkered with some stuff. I mean, I played basketball a couple times and, I played like flag football, but nothing else really caught me like baseball did. So baseball, baseball's been it for me, my, my entire life, really. Yeah, and that's the first time that we've heard that in the short history of the Outlier Sessions where um, <laughs> you knew at five or six years old that you wanted to be a professional baseball player. So, um, yeah, let's move away from El Tad a little bit and uh, let's let's talk about your experience as a young athlete because, uh, you know, going way back in time to 2014, you know, you have a really interesting exposure uh, at 14, 15 years old to really high level baseball uh, on a national level playing for the USA Baseball 15 year national team. Uh, just talk a little bit about how that opportunity presented itself. You know, obviously it's right here in your backyard, but you know, those, those 15, you guys, you're playing with guys from all over the country. You know, how did you kind of get that opportunity? Yeah. So the, the, I wanted to play for the USA team for the longest time. I had tried out multiple times before that. I think, I think there was a shift. I would like to say it was 11 U and 14 U and 17 U or something. And then they switched to 12, 15 and 18, which I think it still is today. Um, so I try, I got invited to the NTIS when I was 11 and did not make the team. And then I had, I think I went to the NTIS again when I was 15 or to make the 14 U team. So 14 U and I didn't make it. And then they changed it to 15 U and I went to the NTIS again and did not make it. So you're like, how did you make the team? So somebody, somebody with USA baseball was like, Hey, but there's still some 40 man spots left. You just need to go to this tournament in Florida, this USA baseball tournament in Florida. 
and uh you know do well and see if you can get an invite there so uh that it had been a few months so i went there and did pretty well and got invited to the 40 man uh roster for usa and then oddly enough my roommate on that uh trip was spencer torkelson who some of you may know went first overall uh in last year's draft uh in 2020 um but he was my roommate and he didn't make the team but that's besides that's besides the point for now um i mean i had a good week uh i remember in the middle of the week i was i was doing okay at this point and they had like little in between you know or like after a workout they were like we're gonna have meetings and just like let you know where you're at before the last few days of this and they were like hey uh, like you're a good baseball player, but I think the next couple of days you really need to, uh, you really need to stand out to make this team. And, uh, I, I did really well the next two days and, uh, ended up making the team. And obviously there were some incredible players on that team and some incredible memories, but, uh, that's, that's how I ended up making that team. It was, it, it was a long road, uh, from getting cut a qu- a, quite a few times to being told that, you know, I was kind of on the borderline to make the team and then ending up making the team. It was, uh, it was definitely really, it was a really awesome experience for sure. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that, uh, I had no idea, but the, the Spencer Torkelson overlap, um, just goes to show you how small for world baseball is. Um, yeah, I I know know, it's crazy. Kind of in that vein though, looking back at the specific roster and we're not even going to talk about Spencer Torkelson, but you had, a guy on that team that went 1-1 in the 2017 MLB draft, um, Royce Lewis, and then, you know, obviously Hunter Green was on that team, a whole bunch of other guys. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you got guys that were on that team that are done playing competitive baseball. So I want you to kind of speak on, from your perspective, the importance or unimportance of being one of the 20 best players in the country at 15 years old. And additionally, how making that team doesn't necessarily define who you'll be as a baseball player three, four, five years down the road. I think a lot of kids and maybe even more so parents get caught up in that. But I think you can even lump in Spencer Torkelson as a good example of someone who didn't make that team who a couple of years down the road, you know, went one one in the draft. So um, floor is yours on that one. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing for that is I I just believe everybody has their own journey. Uh, I think everybody has their own goals. And I mean, there are a lot of baseball players. Their goal is to play MLB baseball. I mean, make a USA team when they're younger. I mean, you have short term, long term goals. But I think everybody's journey is is different. I mean, like I said, uh, I got I got cut a few times and then ended up making the team. Torkelson got cut and, you know, ended up going 1-1 and had a great year in pro ball. He'll probably be in the big leagues next year. And then, I mean, one of my good friends is uh, Joe Adele, and he didn't make the uh, 18U team. And he was living with me that summer, and we didn't make, we both didn't make the team for the 18U uh, roster. But, I mean, I think it's just, when you make the team, I think it, it really does give you a good confidence boost. But I think part of maturing in baseball is when you get a moment like that, you have to realize that like the work is just starting. Then you're not, you haven't made it yet. You get And that, that happens throughout your baseball career. I mean, you get a scholarship to college, the work doesn't stop. You got to work hard. So when you get there, you know, you have a chance to play. And then 
you know, you get drafted, the work's not done there. You got to work even harder to make it to the MLB. And once you get to the MLB, you got to work even, even harder to stay there. So I think, I mean, making the team is great, but I think I've I've said it a few times now, but everybody has their own journey. Everybody at some point is going to be, I think everybody at some point struggles with something or making a team or whether it's early in your life or later in your life. But I think just fighting through those struggles and moving forward and getting better as a player, just uh, over time is just, is what everybody needs. And, you know, I, I want to worry about making the team too much. I mean, it's obviously a huge honor and it was awesome, but as you know, Spencer Torgelson, Joe Adele, I mean, Joe Adele's a big leaguer. Spencer Torgelson will be a big leaguer. And these guys are, I mean, they're some of the best in the game and they both didn't make USA rosters at the time. So it's, it's important, but it's, it's, it's not everything. Yeah. And I think you touched on a whole bunch of really good stuff in there. Um, and, you know, not to go back to LTAD or anything, but you did kind of touch on the importance of ignition um, and keeping that fire lit through adversity and when you don't make a team. And, you know, as you continue to work your butt off at every level for that next opportunity, you know, it's like, what is that fire every day that keeps you going and, and gets you back in the gym and gets you up early and gets you out to the field and and all that different stuff. So um, that was some really good stuff. I also do want to mention um, one more time, just, you know, you brought it up, you know, at 15 years old, some guys, their arrow is green and it's going up. Some guys, their arrow is yellow and it's going sideways. And some guys, arrow is red and it's going down after that, you know? Um, and I just think that it's important that a lot of kids – and again, the parents don't put the pressure on the kids at such an early age where it's like, oh, you didn't make the 12U team. You didn't make the 15U team. This isn't the end of the road for you. So um, obviously, you know, you and your perspective, incredibly unique, you know, having been on that 15U team. Um, and again, you know, I'd, the Spencer Torkelson crossover, um, I think, fits in perfectly with that whole conversation. So. Um, I, I do want to talk about something else that presented itself around the same time when you were on that 15U national team that not a lot of families or parents or players can really prepare for um, unless they've been there before with an older sibling that's been a high-level player. But um, you mentioned to me that the USA Baseball experience in 2014 kind of opened the floodgates for draft advisors to reach out to you. You didn't even have a driver's license yet. Between you and your family, how did you handle that situation? Yeah, so I remember being there and there was a ton of advisors and they were handing you their, you know, whatever, their pamphlets or whatever they <laughs> whatever they had for you. And we're so, I, w- I mean, I was so young and, you know, it was new to my dad and new to my mom and my whole family. And we were, uh, we were, we were a little confused at first, but I mean, we had made some personal relationships that made it a little easier for us. But I think, uh, I think, I mean, I think going through that, I think one of the big things I learned was just like, first of all, you need to, you need to like do your research on these companies. You need to know what they're about. You need to know like their clients, you need to know all that stuff. And then I think on top of that is finding the right company for you. But I also think look beyond the company and who are the right people for you. It's not, 
it's not just about, you know, the big name or the whatever, but like really forming those personal relationships, because I mean, if they're, if you're going to have a long baseball career, you're going to have that, that agent. I mean, you can switch agents, I guess, but you're going to have that agent for a long time and that agency and uh, dealing with the people that they have is, is going to be really big. Uh, so those personal relationships, I think are one of the big foundations of why I selected who I selected. And just uh, obviously the company is really well known uh, with Boris, but um, but I mean, the personal relationships I made with Garrett Gore and Bob Brower and Brett Kniff, like those guys are all awesome people. And uh, I think that really helped our decision. So I guess, you know, and, and you touched on it there, but if you had advice and I don't know if you might have had a different experience than, than what some other kids might have because your dad was a high level baseball player. So it wasn't completely foreign to you guys, but um, what advice do you have for the amateur player who gets approached by advisors? Cause I, again, I, this isn't something that every amateur player gets at 15 years old. Um, you know, that kind of attention. And there are a select few out there who will be completely blindsided by this. So um, I guess maybe just, pick out like maybe one piece of advice that you'd give to an amateur player and their family um, when you get approached by. Yeah. An yeah. I mean, I, I think the big thing is for me, it was, do you, do you feel like this person can be a part of your life and like a big part of your life potentially? And do you feel like they, really represent what you want to represent as a person, not just as a baseball player. So I think the personal relationship side is the, is the big thing for me, I would say. And beyond that, obviously do your research, know about the company, but I think the personal relationship is where it starts. Yeah. So it's almost like you're adding a family member. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Garrett, who I talked to, uh, I mean, he's, he's like family. We go, we go get food and, we just have normal conversations. It's not like he's just, we strictly talk baseball or anything. Like he's, he's a great friend to our family. And I mean, I, I can't imagine not having him in my life, even, you know, as a, as an agent, as a friend, whatever. I mean, he's, he's an incredible person. So I, I think that's, I think that's really, really big. Awesome. Um, so when did you start getting college looks? And how did you choose South Carolina? Was it something where you were already committed when you were on that 15U team? Um, was it super early or did it happen after that? Kind of talk us through your college process. So I, I committed before I played on the USA team. I think it was probably a month, month and a half before um, I committed to South Carolina. Uh, so the process for me, um, I think... I obviously, I, I mean, around that time I was making the USA team. So I was, I, I, I was a pretty good player growing up. Like I don't, I mean, I wasn't, you know, so I had, I had some opportunities early on to get some offers. Um, so I think it was, I was in eighth grade, <laughs> actually, I'm not, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to say that, but I was in eighth grade and I got a verbal offer. Like, I don't know what, whatever from liberty in the eighth grade and after going to a camp there because i think i went to a i went to another camp which had a whole bunch of coaches at it um it was an ecb camp it was a canes camp 
and Liberty said, Hey, you want to come to a camp? And I was like, yeah. Uh, so my dad and I, in eighth grade, went to this Liberty camp, had a pretty good camp and they offered me in eighth grade. So, I mean, that's pretty early, obviously. And then at that, at that time I was like, you know what, I got to get pretty serious about like where I would want to go to school. So I made a list of five schools and, you know, had some others in there, but I had five schools that I was interested in. Um, and then my second offer was South Carolina, which was one of the schools on the list. Um, I went to a camp at South Carolina. I mean, they had seen me play before in some sort of dynamic tournament or perfect game tournament, but I went to a camp and, uh, I did pretty well at the camp and they ended up offering me after the camp. And then I slowly over the next six, seven months, that was in the winter got offers from other places. Um, and then I was June and, you know, I was like, you know what? I feel like I should just make a decision. So I won't have, it won't have to be over my head and I can let these guys know where I'm going to go. So I, uh, ultimately decided on South Carolina. And, uh, I think a big thing is going through this process is like, you know, the respect that you have for, the coaches of the programs that uh, offered you and took the time to talk to you and all this stuff. And then also obviously the respect for the school where you're going to end up. So I think when I, when I committed, I called or I tried to get in touch with all the coaches uh, that had offered me and let them know that I was going to go to South Carolina. And then I called South Carolina last to let them know. So uh, the like, Liberty coach didn't find out through the grapevine that I had gone to South Carolina and I didn't let him know. So I think that was, I think I learned that from my dad and another family friend, Wilson Hoyle, who was talking about the value, like the respect that you have to have for these people taking their time. So I made those calls and ultimately ended up committing to South Carolina. Yeah. that's really good advice. Um, just in terms of being tactful in your approach and, and kind of understanding the impact of making that decision. Cause I think, you know, in the world we live in today, everything's so fast, so immediate, you, you know, you make a decision, you want to tell the world, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, whatever that may be, what your decision is. But, um, to your point, you know, you're, there's a lot of people who put a lot of time and effort into recruiting you and, uh, that respect piece is huge. So uh, one, it's great to hear that. And two, you know, obviously, great advice for whoever may be listening to this. So um, let's transition a little bit. We're going to jump a couple of years. We're going to jump over, you know, your tournament of stars experience, all that. I want to get into your college and pro ball experience because I think it's, it's pretty unique. Um, And I do want to start with, you know, the opportunity that you had to play not one, but two summers up in the Cape Cod baseball league. You know, I think very few players have the opportunity to go, twice, let alone once. Uh, you played for the Armand Dennis Red Sox both summers, Coach Pick. This is the top collegiate summer league in the country, has so much history. Um, you must have been aware of that going in. So with that being said, talk about your expectation, you know, being from North Carolina uh, for what it was going to be like and then the reality of what it actually was. Because I think for some people that I've talked to in the past that haven't been to you know, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, it's, it is a little bit of a shock, um, just in terms of what you heard versus what it actually is. Yeah. So I think this is another situation where I can really thank my dad 
for preparing me because my dad played for Wareham back in the day. So he, uh, he went to the Cape Cod league back in his, in his college days and he loved it. Like some of his best baseball experience experiences, he said, uh, happened up there. So, uh, I, he, he gave me a good idea of what I could expect. He was like, you know, you're just going to go up there. You're going to have fun. You're going to play baseball every day. And like, that's that's pretty much what I, I took it as he was like, it's going to be beautiful weather and all this stuff. I was like, okay. And, uh, so went up there and, you know, the host family thing is probably the most different thing that I would have, you know, different experience that I've had. So I would say that was probably the biggest adjustment from what I expected. But for the most part, I would say it was exactly what I expected. Just good quality baseball, good, like good times with your teammates and just getting out there and playing every day or just about every day at the very least. And, uh, I, I, I loved both years in the Cape and I stayed with the same foes host family for, uh, for both years. And it, it, it was, it was a special experience. I, I, I really enjoyed it for sure. Yeah. I'm sure you had your routines on the baseball field, but you know, as someone who interned up in the Cape Cod baseball league and lived up there for a summer, um, two summers, actually, you know, I'm sure you had your routines off the field as well. You know, did you have your beach spot and, you know, your regular spot for lunch or breakfast or whatever that might be um, kind of locked in after year one so that year two, you were kind of on autopilot. You already knew where to go. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say I'm definitely more of a chill type person. So I wasn't going to the beach very often. Actually, I, I think I only went like twice, like once per year. Um, But so but I mean, there were some spots right close to the yd field which was really fortunate i mean can't survive without the dunkin donuts there's a dunkin donuts right there i love lobster and lobster rolls so i mean and you're you're on the cape so like you know you know there's lobster everywhere so anywhere i could go to find a good lobster roll i'd go uh mix it up and but it it, it, it was it was nice going for the second time because i had a good feel of you know just what it was like. I mean, I knowing that you're going to go up there and there's not going to be, <laughs> there's not going to be Chick-fil-A's on every corner. Like there seems to be in Durham, North Carolina or Columbia, South Carolina. Um, and knowing that there's only one Chick-fil-A and that Chick-fil-A is at the high, high mall. And, uh, so that's, that's what you're going to have to deal with. But I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my, my experience there. And I mean, getting to know the spots for the second year was definitely, definitely big, but I was, I'm definitely more of a chill person. So, but I will say that my host family did have a pool in their backyard. So it did make it easier for me to be more chill. So. Yeah. And I know from my experience up there that a pool in the backyard on the Cape is hard to come by because the beach is so close for everyone. And, um, yeah, I do want to put this out there disclaimer to the world. Like you can go chill at the beach. So <laughs> as chill of a guy as Noah is, you know, he's like, Oh, I don't go to the beach cause I'm a chill guy. Come on, Noah. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's on me. I, I don't know. I just, I just, I, I would, if I wanted to go in the water, I would just go in the backyard into the pool. But most of the time I'm just tired. Honestly, playing every day is definitely tough. No, I'm with, I'm with you. It's way easier to just, hop into the backyard and hop in a pool if you got it. So, um, but that's awesome to hear that you kind of dove in and to your point, yeah, there isn't Chick-fil-A's on every corner. And for that matter, there 
really aren't a ton of commercial options. And it's a lot of, you kind of have to dive in and talk to some people and know the spots. And um, I think that's, what's really unique about the Cape and part of the whole experience. So, you know, um, something that I do want to kind of talk about, you know, in that vein, you know, did you have other options for what to do that, like those two summers or was it just like, Hey, I'm going to the Cape. Yeah. So, I mean, I think everybody kind of has the option to stay back and like lift and, you know, hit on your own at school or whatever. But, um, I wanted to play. I mean, I remember a conversation I had, a just chance coincidence. I went to a Duke basketball game and we happened to know the uh, assistant athletic director at Duke and he got his tickets and he said, guess who's here? And we're like, who? And this is like right after he got drafted first overall, but Dansby, Sp- Dansby Swanson was at the game and it was after the game. He was like, Hey, you want to meet him? And I was like, yeah, like I'd love to meet Dansby Swanson. Why not? I'm like in high school, like big fan, watch Vanderbilt uh, win it when he played there. And so we talked to Dansby for a while and he was really big on, Baseball is one of the few sports that you can like do all the work you want outside of the game. But when you, until you play it more, like it, you're just, it's just not the same. So, uh, I, I wanted to play. I didn't want to stay and lift. Uh, so I, I went to the Cape both summers. I mean, the second summer, I guess I kind of had a chance earlier in the year. I didn't have a great sophomore season at South Carolina. So this did it, that didn't help, but I could have, if I would have had a better season played for the USA uh, college national team, but I didn't. So I ended up back in the Cape, but obviously I I'm not complaining. I very much enjoyed my time on the Cape. Yeah. And I can kind of speak to it from, you know, having been on the inside at that point. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that go to the Cape after their freshman year and not, not a lot of guys, but what I'm saying is like a lot of the higher end guys who have a shot to play for that college team, you know, after their sophomore year, and, you know, when they find out they don't make the USA team, instead of going to the Cape for a second year, they just shut it down because they're kind of disappointed, you know. Um, I feel like that's that's a pretty regular thing. So, you know, kind of hats off to you. You know, obviously you struggled your sophomore year at South Carolina and you went right back up to the Cape and <laughs> had another great year. You kind of like if you look at your statistics, you look at baseball reference, it's kind of funny to see that, you know, you had more success with wood than with metal during your college career. Like any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. So this was actually probably the most common question I got in my uh, like scout meetings that I had my junior year at South Carolina. They were like, Like, what's the deal? They were like, you had a solid freshman season at South Carolina, had a great summer, and then you didn't have a very good sophomore year, and then you had another good Cape year. And they were like, like, what's the deal? What's the deal with that? And I was just like, you know what? I mean, first of all, struggles are going to happen. I, I, baseball's too hard for you to sit there and pretend like you're just going to hit 350 every year or whatever. Um, But, I mean, I think for me, I really enjoy – just going out there and playing every day and not having other things to worry about. My answer to the scouts was I believe that I just had a lot on my plate at South Carolina. I was a biology major and that was a lot of work and a lot of studying. And then on top of that, you have a lot of practice and all this stuff. And 
it was just it, it, it was tough for me it's not like i wasn't putting in the work for baseball i just i just believe that it was just a lot on my plate and i uh i, I didn't couldn't fully devote my time to baseball which i would have liked to but i mean you're you're a student athlete for a reason you gotta put in the work on both ends so i think i think that was a big that definitely had some play in it but uh to be completely honest it could be it could be anything but that that's what i like to tell myself right now at least yeah and i just think it's really interesting i was kind of curious to to hear ultimately what you had to say on it um but we've we've seen it go the other way so often where a guy in his college season will hit you know 11 12 13 home runs and then you know go play in a wood bat summer league and you know hit one or two it goes all the way back to Chris Bryant. You know, Chris Bryant had that experience. You can look at his Cape stats. He didn't hit home runs on the Cape, and he led the country in home runs at San Diego, you know. And um, there's a couple more recent examples as well. But, you know, just kind of funny, you know. You're you're kind of the opposite <laughs> guy. So, you know, not a bad thing because obviously now you're in professional baseball. You play with Wood. So if you could pick one, Wood would be the one. But yeah, for sure. I, I want to jump into your junior year a little bit. And, you know, you're going to be one of those athletes, you know, regardless of whether it's baseball or whatever sport it might be, that ultimately will have this etched as part of their story. But you're 14 games in and the coronavirus comes in and ends your season. You didn't exactly come out of the gate, guns blazing in February. What's going through your mind from a pro ball standpoint, especially coming off of a really good cape and then kind of a little slow out of the gate that junior year, your draft year. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there was a lot of uncertainty at that time. So I didn't really know what was going on, but initially I was like, okay, well, I guess they're just going to have a 40 round draft like they normally do. And, you know, I, I had, I wasn't really concerned that I, I wouldn't get picked in the 40 rounds. Um, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, I felt like just on my Cape alone, I felt like I could get picked in the 40 rounds. So I wasn't all that concerned. Um, and then obviously they, <laughs> it shifted to five rounds, which was a big, a big, big difference. So, uh, I didn't really worry about it up until the five round thing, but, um, I, I, I would say, I, I would say I was mostly optimistic, optimistic. I felt like talking to my agent and everything. I felt like I at least had a decent chance to get picked even in the five rounds, despite not the greatest college numbers of all time. But overall, I would say I was optimistic. So you, you just touched on it. The MLB draft prior to 2020 is a it's a 40 round draft. Obviously, this past year was 20. Uh, but your draft year, you know, a lot of people would say that it's kind of the short end of the stick. There were only five rounds. You brought that up. Um, let's talk a little bit about the circumstances that led to you signing because players who weren't selected in the five rounds of the draft were allowed to sign for agent deals, but for a maximum of, of $20,000, which is really not a whole lot in the grand scheme of draft bonuses. So a lot of people in your situation might say he has eligibility left. He's playing in the SEC. He was a standout performer on the Cape for two summers. There's more to it than what meets the eye. So kind of talk about your decision to leave South Carolina and sign with Milwaukee 
and some of the factors that were at play there? Yeah, so initially I had set a number that I was looking for in the draft, which looking back on it seemed, you know, kind of dumb, but beyond that, so basically draft day one, I wasn't expecting to get picked in the first round at all. But in talking to my agent, he was he was like, Okay, like this is what we're hearing, blah, blah, blah. So I had a pretty good feeling going into day two. Um and then pick by pick goes by and I really hadn't heard I hadn't heard anything at all. So I was like, okay, this is probably not gonna happen. So I basically got my head around like I I told myself I was if I didn't get picked, I was gonna go back to school. So I had my head wrapped around that for a few days. Um and there was no scout contact uh allowed for a few days. Um and you could go into like whatever the draft portal was and like take your name out of the free agency thing. So you want to get any calls. So that's how that was supposed to work. And I just neglected to do that. So like I was all set on going back to school, just all completely set. And I just neglected to do that. And then the first day that the free agency thing was allowed to happen right at the time, 9 a.m., I get a call from local brewer scout. I mean, they drafted me out of high school. So like I've known this guy, Taylor Frederick, uh, I've known him for, I guess, three, four years now. And he calls me and he's like, Hey, like we'd love for you to consider signing. And we would really like to help you with some school money. And I was like, I knew about the school money before, but like, um, I, I wasn't like, okay, like I, I have one more year of school. Like I, I, I think I'm a good student. I was like, not worried about that. And he was like, yeah, school and like grad school programs. I was like, what do you mean by that? So I mentioned earlier, I was a biology major and I would like to go to medical school if baseball doesn't work out. So when I said that, I was like, oh, you mean like med- medical school? And he was like, yeah, I like that. And I was like, I didn't know like that was a thing. I thought it was just like, they can just give you money for undergrad. But I mean, I guess looking back on it, I don't know why they couldn't give you money for something else, but, or for some other school. But so he talked me through that. We had a couple phone conversations. I talked to my agent and, uh, they ended up giving me a good amount of money. I, in my estimation for medical school and, you know, my last year of college, uh, that I still had my undergrad that I still had to finish. Um, and I think that's what swayed me. It wasn't the $20,000, like you said, is not, you know, life changing, shattering money, but looking at the opportunity to be able to go to medical school, if all else fails baseball wise and have it, you know, mostly paid for, I think I thought that was really, really, really big in my decision because I was, like I said, I was planning on going back to school and then he brought that up and that swayed my decision to go the other way so that's that's how i kind of ended up where i'm at now and i think that school money is (laughs) it 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 changed the game i guess i guess you could say it's a really cool story to hear because those are the stories that you typically don't hear you know um following that five-round draft there were a ton of guys that signed for 20k and they were all different levels of you know power five guys non-power five guys guys who you know had some name recognition guys who you'd never heard of before, whatever. And you didn't really think about any of the circumstances around them signing, 
um, you know, they were all just getting the same amount, 20K, 20K, 20K. But the differentiator was really for you what Milwaukee had to offer that, you know, ultimately is going to far outweigh the 20K you signed for. So um, really cool and appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's, I think, I think it's important to uh, let parents know that that's a thing so they can bring it up to their scouts or their agent when they're, when their kids looking to sign um, that because getting, getting an education is just so important. So I, I think having that as part of your deal in one way or another, I think is uh, I thought, I think is really, really big. I agree hundred percent. So you sign with Milwaukee and you get assigned to the low A affiliate out of minor league spring training, the Carolina Mudcats in <laughs> Zebulon, North Carolina. Zebulon, Zebulon. I don't know, I'll probably get made fun of for how I say it. If anyone listening actually knows uh, <laughs> where that is, but it's a little more than 30 minutes from your house in Durham. Uh, tell us what it was like playing so close to home. Like, I know you got to sleep in your bed every night, which you might have been the only minor leaguer in America who could say that, you know? Yeah. So, strangely enough, str- strangely enough, I played with Ashton McGee, who I played uh, played with growing up, and he also got to stay at home, which I think might be the craziest coincidence of all time that one, we played together growing up for eight years, ended up on the same minor league team, and then we played on the same minor league team and both got to stay in our own beds, which... I mean, that's just, what are the odds of that happening? But it was, it was, it was really, really, really cool. Uh, I, I, I've been thinking about this recently, especially with uh, minor league baseball or major league baseball, I guess, paying for housing next year. I was like, I may, I signed for 20 K like officially like money in the bank account, but it was like, I entered minor league baseball at the right time. And the circumstances just happened to really work out because I stayed at home, didn't have to pay a dime for housing this year because they weren't covering it this year and didn't have to really spend money on food because I'm living at home and my parents are very, 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 uh, they're, I mean, they're the best and they provided food. And the only thing I really had to spend money on was gas and uh, food, I guess, on the road. Um so I, I saved all that money and then next year I'll get to save all that money on housing again because they're paying for uh, Major League Baseball's paying for it. So staying 30 minutes from my house was really nice, especially I think it was I think the best thing about it, um, honestly, is that my parents got to come to every game that they wanted to, which was just about every game because not almost all the games were within a few hours or even just 30 minutes. And I think. I think having them come to every game, having my family come to every game uh, or just about every game was just really special for me because obviously they were instrumental in me getting here. So I think that just having them to support me, especially in my first pro season was just really, really special. Yeah. It's really cool how the stars kind of aligned on that one. Um, but you know, with that being said, you know, you're going to get your first true taste of minor league baseball this year when you're up in Wisconsin. Yeah, I know it's good. It, I I've been telling people, it's like, I almost played like travel baseball for a year and in some sort of way, it's like, you know, you go to your game, you come back home and you know, you're just around your family, you get home cooked meal. But next year I'm going to be 
I guess it's, I'm going to be uh, getting my real minor league baseball experience in a hotel all year, wherever, whatever housing they put me in. But I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait to get back out there already, but. Well, I do want to talk a little bit more about your experience uh, in pro ball this year, because, you know, and I don't want to harp on it, the, the whole signing bonus thing. But there's a playing time pecking order in professional baseball, and it's not something that a lot of fans or hopeful professionals are necessarily aware of. Uh, but it, it is an accomplishment that you saw the field in 100 games this year, five out of six each week. A lot of other guys who signed as free agents after the 2020 draft didn't see nearly the amount of time that you saw. So, you know, I've, I know there's other guys out there who played on the Cape who signed for 20K, and, you know, they had a third of the at-bats that you had this year. Talk about the playing time expectation that was set in spring training by the Brewers and how you put yourself in a position to exceed that expectation during the year. Yeah, so I think uh, I've I've told my I've told my parents this. I've told a couple people this. I said I think going into spring training, I felt like I I I don't know how much I would have played, but I had a good feeling going into it that like I I felt like nobody really knew who I who I was like you know you go in like obviously people know who you are but nobody really knew who I was and I was like I'm going to get to whatever affiliate they send me to and I'm going to probably be on the lower end of the totem pole and play like two day two or three days a week um and then I went out there and had a pretty good spring training and that put me on the Mudcats, first of all, instead of staying in extended spring, which was, I guess, the first obstacle. Um, and then once you got there, like I, I mean, I'm playing on a team with our second, our third, our fourth and our fifth round pick from or not our fifth round pick, but our second, third and fourth round picks from that year. And then a whole bunch of other guys to sign for a good bit more money than I did. Um, and I wasn't really expecting a lot. I think our manager was pretty upfront, and uh, I think my playing for my manager in spring training. I think he really liked the way I played the game and just the way I carried myself. So I think that definitely helped. But I think me going out there and just playing really hard uh, opened up a lot of eyes. It wasn't necessarily that I went out there and I was the best player on the field or anything, but my manager told me on multiple occasions that he just loved the way I played. And, ran hard and did all the all the little things like that um so i think that definitely played into why i got ended up getting so many at bats and and i mean not saying that other guys don't do that but i just think for me specifically i know that i went out there and gave everything i had when i was out there and took advantage of the opportunities that i was given in spring training and uh i think that really propelled me to getting playing in a hundred games this year yeah, and I think there's a whole bunch of different variables at play, and, and we'll touch on a couple of them. You know, I think we're going to go a little long here, but, you know, I think that's there, – there's so much to talk about with your, your journey and your experience that I think it kind of warrants taking a couple extra minutes to, to break some of this stuff down. But, you know, one of those variables I think that contributes, you know, you're a team guy and you have flexibility. You know, obviously you're, you're an athletic guy. Um, you know, I've evaluated you a number of different times, you know, as, 
you know, loading sports prior with the USA baseball, you know, you had the versatility to play different positions. And I think, you know, if you're healthy and you have the versatility to play different positions, I think that opens up the door for you to potentially get on the field every night. So uh, you played nine positions in the last game of the year and it wasn't your first appearance on the mound either. How did that come together and talk a little bit about catching? Because I know that you've mentioned in the past to me that, um, you know, uh, let's talk about catching a little bit and just the appreciation that you now have for people who put on the, the gear and sit behind the plate. Yeah, so I think it it was really early on in the year and my manager was like, I had played, I think at this point in the season, I probably had played four, three or four or five positions. And he was like, you know what? I, I, I think by the end of the year, I'm going to have you play on nine positions. I've had a player do it before. I think I think you'd really enjoy it. We're going to do it. And I was like, okay. And we didn't talk about it all that much. I mean, I'd catch in between innings, just like warming up pitchers. And that was terrifying enough for me. And then we got to the last week of the season. And he was like, hey, if on Sunday we are not playing for a playoff spot, because there was only two teams that went to the playoffs. He's like, if we're not playing for a playoff spot on Sunday, you're going to play on nine positions. And I was like, all right, well, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to need to probably catch like an actual bullpen because <laughs> I've never caught in my entire life. It's the one position I've never played or I had never played, I guess, at this point. Um, and I was like, OK, I just need to do that. So early in the week, I uh, caught a bullpen nice and easy, nothing crazy. I ended up catching that same guy on Sunday and I, I have a new appreciation for how catchers, first of all, stay hydrated because I was dying back there and all that gear with the warming up of the pitcher and everything. And then I have a new appreciation for just how tough it is back there. And I had, I could, I don't think I could have had an easier inning where I didn't have to block. I didn't have any foul tips. I didn't have to throw anybody out. I didn't have anything like that. And it was still the hardest position I've ever played in my life. And I have played all of them before. So uh, every, every other position for me was not that bad. I had played first, second, short, third outfield. And I had pitched a few times and, you know, pitching is whatever, as a position player, you just kind of go in there and lob the ball in the zone. But the catching is definitely a different animal. That's, I definitely have respect for all the catchers out there. So any catchers listening, you're, you're, you're doing a great job. Yeah, salute to Soup down in the audience. <laughs> Shout out to Soup. I love the nickname. That's also my nickname, so I really respect it. Yeah, long lost cousin. Uh, anytime <laughs> we're on the road, I can hear him leaving his hotel room because his ankles click. And I, <laughs> I think that's that's probably from all that time he spent behind the, behind the dish over his life. But um, kind of aside from the versatility, right? One of the reasons and another variable for why you're able to see action in 100 games this past year is because of your health. And with the exception of a freak rib injury that didn't even require an IL stint, you maintained your health all year. So what do you attribute to remaining fresh for an entire professional baseball season? And generally speaking, you know, talk about your routines because it's a war of attrition. Yeah, so I think... I think of the first step is obviously in the off season, you need to get as strong and flexible as you can move 
Like, so when you get to spring training, you're not like, this is not the first time you've run a sprint. This is not the first time that you've swung, I don't know, say 80 times in a day. This is not, not the first time you've taken a ground ball. You need to be, you need to be in good shape when you get to spring training. Maybe everybody's a little bit different, but for me, I showed up to spring training and some of the best shape I've been in my life. And I stuck to a pretty good stretching routine and a good warm up uh, throughout the season. I think that was big. And then I think doing what you need to do in the weight room is also big. Like you shouldn't force yourself to go in there and crush weight like it's the off season. But doing a little bit every day was what really helped me. I would say I would go in there and they have a workout. And you're supposed to do for us. It was two workouts a week. Um, and I go in there, I just do a little bit of the workout over like two or three days instead of just doing all one day. So I was always doing a little something and then I was stretching every day. And I mean, it's not to, it's not to say that I went out there every day. I felt a hundred percent, which because I didn't, but I mean, it was all, it was all manageable stuff. So I think the stretch routine, the lifting routines, the like these things are important. You hear it all the time, but I mean, people aren't lying when they say you need, you need to have a good routine because it, it definitely pays dividends. Yeah. And we'd be remiss if we didn't shout out Travis Lindhorst, the edge sport performance in Durham, mm-hmm. you know, for all the work that he's put in with you and a handful of other guys in the off season, you know, Travis really does some, some pretty awesome things in there and obviously helped you, you know, especially through the COVID season, you know, put yourself in a position to not only maintain, but continue to get stronger and more flexible and help your routines uh, leading into your, yeah. your pro ball. So um, you did some weekly jump testing this year, you know, over at Travis's spot, both single leg and two legged vertical jump type stuff. Talk a little bit about how you use that information. Yeah. So First of all, thank you for allowing me to do that. I mean, you you were doing it for your you know for your own testing purposes, but for me, I think it was really it was really helpful because I mean it it showed me the toll that it can take week to week and what I need to do to stay you know relatively even with what I'm doing ex- like explosiveness wise, athletically. Um, I, I think that was really beneficial to me also for maintaining my health because I knew every week kind of where I was at in terms of, you know, is my left leg a little better, my right leg a little better, am I low on all my jumps? So that was really helpful for me. But for me, I, w- I was kind of using it as like, it was, it, it was, it was really encouraging and kind of motivated me because I was like, I'm doing the right things because my numbers didn't just go de- like just go down drastically my numbers were fairly consistent every week and i i attribute that to the routines that i talked about getting good sleep i think that's i think sleep is not talked about enough um in terms of health um i i would try to get my eight hours and at worst i'd get seven um get the eight hours every day and i think i think that definitely paid into why i was able to stay healthy and also why my jumps were so consistent. Yeah. You talked about it a little bit there. Uh, did it give you confidence to know that your body was maintaining a certain level of performance, even as the summer wore on? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that was the big thing for the, for the um, going in there every Monday um, and seeing the numbers afterwards, it was, it was like, okay, well I am, 
just as explosive as I was in week 18 as I was in week one, two or three. So it was like, I know that a lot of the guys are not doing exactly the same things that I'm doing. And in terms of, you know, getting their sleep and working out and everything, um, keeping the body fresh. And I think that it gives you a little competitive edge. Even, even if the guys are doing it, you, you can tell yourself that you are, you have an edge on them. Uh, not to, you know, reference Travis's Jim's name, but you have an edge on those guys. Um, so I think that was a, I think that was definitely a nice little confidence boost. Yeah. And for the second week in a row, I would like to call out that we have a former contestant in the great Durham pun competition in the audience, Cole Conley. So, you know, I'm sure he appreciated your pun there with the edge. Um, <laughs> but to your point, you know, giving you that little bit of edge, you know, everyone knows how mental the game of baseball is like that could be the little separator that puts you over the top on a given day or in a given week or in a given series, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, we're you know, certainly happy that th- sharing that information with you was able to, you know, kind of help that mentality a little bit. I do want to speak a little bit on single leg jumps and what you learned about lower half symmetry for baseball players, because in, you can be honest about this, like going into any kind of testing that we did, was it something you were thinking about in terms of how your left leg performs versus your right leg and what that's like compared to other baseball players? Or was that something that was just completely out of your mind? I had heard about it before, you know, just like, you know, being around weights and people in weight rooms, I guess, over, over time and health at South Carolina guy, we had a guy come in and test like our hamstring, like, I don't know, we were doing some sort of like hamstring curl and it tested to see how much of each leg we were using. And I, so that was like the first introduction I had to it, but it's, it's never been something that like, until you brought it up where I was like, Oh my gosh. Uh, like I, I can't believe like some guys right leg is way, way significantly different than their left leg or vice versa. Um, so I, 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 I didn't look into it that much until you brought it up, but I, it's definitely something that I think uh, you need to pay attention to. Cause I think that, that would lead to a lot of injuries if you're really favoring, I've heard that so many times. It's like your back hurts because your hip, your hips tight or something like one thing leads to another. And I think that that's why having good symmetry leads to better health and better outcomes on the field. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think that's something that a lot more baseball players and softball players and, you know, other sports that involve rotation and kind of an asymmetrical move, you know, naturally hitting and pitching, you know, whether it's softball or whether it's baseball is an asymmetrical move where you load into one and then you kind of use that other leg as a stopper. Um, I think it's important to educate yourself on it and kind of you know, again, to your point, like you were able to monitor it, monitor it all year um, and kind of get a look at it. So, you know, my tip of the cap to you for, you know, one, your willingness to come in every Monday on your off day and do this. But two, you know, kind of really like diving in and understanding how these different things affect performance, not just from, you know, how's my engine doing today? Like, am I, you know, maybe I got a little bit more 
you know, wind in the Cape today than I did, or maybe it's a little bit less, but also, you know, the health aspect of the lower half symmetry. So, um, you know, last question on this, after seeing a full season's worth of jump data on yourself, how will that affect your process moving forward, if at all, you know, going into your second full pro season? I think uh, for me, it gives me the confidence to know that I was doing a lot of the right things uh, last year. I think when I came in for my first session, I was down on weight. So just making sure that I eat properly and eat enough um, will definitely be one thing that I continue into next bring into next year. And, you know, just make sure I still get that sleep. I think it's uh, I think that was one of the big things. But training wise, I mean, Travis, Travis gets me right every year. Um, and he's been he's been doing that for a long time, strength wise and then stretching. Uh, that's a lot on my own. So I think just continuing all that stuff and then learning from the, all the weeks that we did it. I think uh, I think obviously just the little changes that I mentioned earlier, I think those will those will really help me going forward in the next year. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, you, you drop weight and you can kind of see it illustrated really well on the jump data, how that power number kind of ticks down. Um, and then you start to kind of realize that a little bit when you're taking BP or, you know, in-game hacks where there's a little less punch in the bat. So, um, you know, it's all kind of tied together. Taking care of yourself impacts how you perform on the field, you know, take care of yourself and just had a conversation with someone today about a, you know, a, a higher draft pick in the past couple of drafts that, you know, he lost some weight this year and he wasn't sleeping well and he wasn't eating right. And, you know, the, he really tapered off over the course of the season. Yeah. Obviously that wasn't the case for you. Um, you know, you were able to maintain, which, you know, again, is amazing to see and you're probably the exception there, but I think it's worth, bringing it up at least that there's a lot of guys out there where, yeah, they can lose 15, 20 pounds over the course of the season and that's going to affect your OPS. So mm -hmm. um, before we transition into part two, you know, I do want to kind of talk a little bit about creating good habits and, and instead of, you know, going into a hole, cause you've already touched on it, you know, sleep, eating right, recovery routines, in, in season lifting. Um, what maybe what's something that if there's a kid out there listening to this, you know, whether it's live now or later on down the road, talk about like something that they can do, start small um, to start building good habits that they can carry with them later in their, their baseball career. Yeah, I think uh, I obviously touched on like the big ones that everybody kind of tells you to do, but I think, for baseball and anything, I think you need, I think you need an escape. I think you need something that takes your mind off the game. Um, I think, I mean, we've talked about this before. Uh, I play guitar. I think that's really, I, I think that's a really great activity, but I mean, just what, whatever it is, I mean, just find something fun that you enjoyed it. Like, even if it's just, even if it's video games, just like take yourself away from baseball Take yourself away from whatever, you know, you got going on. I don't know if you're in school or something. If you need a break, take a break. I mean, protect that mental health. Keep it going uh, in a positive direction. I think those are I think those are some big things that you can do just to minimize the stress that you feel playing baseball. 
Yeah, I think that's a great segue here. Um, I, I do want to, you know, you, you just briefly mentioned it, playing the guitar, uh, a little bit more of a personal touch to kind of put a bow on this conversation before we turn it over to Cole and the gang and the crowd, see if they have any questions for you. But you play the guitar, you know, you, you kind of mentioned the role that the instrument plays in your life. What got you into music and what are you listening to or playing these days in the off season? Because obviously you have a lot more time now in the off season to pick up the guitar. Um, yeah. 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 Um, so I started playing because we had to take a fine art in high school and I am probably the least artistic person that I know. My only B in middle school was in fact in art which is really embarrassing. You basically just need to show up and just not turn in garbage. And I guess I just turned in garbage. So, um, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to take guitar. I think that sounds fun. And I had this little, like my friend gave me this like cheap guitar and I started playing it and I loved it. And, uh, I've been playing it ever since. So it just, uh, it, it I mean, just playing it in high school ignited that passion for me, but Recently, what have I been playing? I've been playing a lot of acoustic guitar recently, you know, just strumming through chords, finger, finger style stuff. Uh, I think, what's the most recent song I learned? Um, I think it was Open Arms by Journey, like a little finger style thing. Uh, but I mean, I listen to classic rock the most, but this is kind of unrelated, but for some reason I've been listening to like seventies dance music recently. Like, I don't know, like staying alive is, I guess is a good example. And like dancing queen. I don't know why, but awesome. that has nothing to do with guitar, <laughs> but I, that's kind of what I've been listening to recently. But, you know, in terms of guitar, I love Pink Floyd. I love Guns N' Roses. I think those are my, probably my favorite ACDC. Um, all of those, all of those groups. I, I, I could listen to them play guitar all day. All right, all right. Last one. Favorite Guns N' Roses song. What do you got? Uh, uh, probably, probably November Rain. Uh, those guitar solos are are kind of insane. Yeah, you know that's a pretty basic answer, but um, I'm it is a base, it is a it is a basic answer. But I could listen to the first guitar solo all day. And I probably should learn it, considering I have a Les Paul because of Slash. I think that'd probably be good. Okay, so if you learn that, we're going to need a recording of it so that we can share with everyone who's listening or ha or will listen to this conversation. Um, and if you don't <laughs> share it with everybody, I'm going to at least need to see that because, yeah, big Guns N' Roses fan here myself. Uh, big. Fan What's your favorite song while we're on it? Uh, Night Train. Oh well, Night Train's a good choice too. Yeah, so. Night Train. It's just I don't the the whole rhythm, the riff, all of that. It's just high energy song. Big fan of it. Um, that whole album of of their albums, and I know they're kind of scattered, and they only had a couple there up front. Um, Appetite for Destruction, top to bottom, one of the best albums I've ever listened to. So, um, yeah, Noah, you packed a whole lot of knowledge into an hour long conversation. I know we went, you know. 13 minutes over. That's okay. We appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck the rest of the off season. 